Good morning, everybody. How's it going today? You doing well? Man, I opened up my uh, sports app the other day and saw the Ducks won a game 101 to 73. Was that the score? That's awesome. Seemed like I'm ready for the football team to start putting points on the board like that this year. 100 points. Hey, so good to see you. Man, what an awesome day in God's presence. You know, one of the things that, that is, I just get excited about every Sunday is to come and be here with you guys to worship the Lord. You know, I, I love to be right here in the front, and I, you know, scream, sing out of tune, ugly cry, all of it in God's presence. Because, man, when the creator of the universe shows up, that's not a moment to hold back, is it? Not a moment to hold back. If you're visiting today, checking out Joy Church for the first time, or maybe second time or so, I just want to say thank you, welcome. We are here for you. You know, we're here to worship God. We're here to proclaim the gospel, but we're here because God has done something incredible in our lives, and he can do something incredible in your life. And you're not here by accident. You, we've prepped for you. We've prepared for you. You are very welcome here. So thank you for being a part of Joy Church this morning. Today, I'm, I'm incredibly excited to announce that we are starting a new series called Modern Day Disciple. And I know in any group, I heard a clap. That's good. You can clap. Yeah, you can clap. In any group this size, there really are two audiences. There are those that consider themselves followers of Jesus and those that perhaps are checking into being a follower of Jesus but haven't made that step into becoming a disciple or a follower of Jesus. And I know for both groups, that word disciple is kind of archaic and maybe it conjures up different images for you. But the point of this series is going to be to unpack what it means to be a disciple, to come to a biblical definition, a clear definition, so we have clarity and unity on what that means. But disciple very simply means a student of life. Uh, a, a disciple is someone that is following another person and not just following them and intellectually learning from them, but, but actually in their actions, orienting, orienting themselves to what that individual does, emulating their example, wanting to be just like that person. I don't know if you ever saw the movie back in the day, Just Like Mike, right? Just Like Mike, anybody? That kind of dates us a little bit, putting your hands up there. But Just Like Mike, the little Bow Wow was the, the actor in that movie, I think, and he... He put on the sneakers and he said, I want to be just like Mike. When we come as followers of Jesus, our goal is to be just like Jesus. You know, you, whether, whether you're Republican or a Democrat or Independent or Green Party, or is there another party, I don't know, Libertarian, whatever. Whether you're a man or a woman or, a, or whether you're old or whether you're young, the world needs more people who look like Jesus. Come on. The world needs more people who act like Jesus, more people who think like Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in this series. And at Joy Church, we call, uh, we have four core aspects that we call the four C's. Sounds like a soul band from the 1960s. We're the four C's, you know. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> I think I broke my knee, but you know, getting old stinks, right? You're like, my knees don't work, you know. Uh, my, my hips don't work. All this, I got out of a car the other day, and my hip went out of joint. I had to kind of do this thing to get it back in. The four C's, uh, which are core aspects of what it means to be a disciple. And we get it from Matthew chapter 4, and I'll read that in a second. I'll actually read it right now. Matthew chapter 4, Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. He gives us a window into what, 
one of the, the connecting points or, or meeting points where Jesus was calling uh, these men that we would be, come to be known as the apostles or Jesus' disciples, it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And the reason they specify that they were fishermen is because anybody who saw me casting a net into the sea would realize I wasn't a fisherman. So just because you're doing that doesn't mean you're actually good at it, right? I'm terrible at all those kind of things. And verse 19 is where we get our, our definition of a disciple. Jesus, it says this, it says, Then he, speaking of Jesus, said to them, Follow me. Somebody say, follow. follow. And I will make you fishers of men. And it says in verse 20, They immediately left their nets and followed him. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, out of this verse, we get four concepts, and it's just a tiny little verse, but there's a lot happening here. Our definition, the four C's of what it means to be a disciple, are this. There's C number one is Christ, then community, then the word change, and then the word call. All right? Christ, community, change, and call. And over the next four weeks, we're going to unpack each of these terms and explain what it means. But a disciple, out of this definition, Jesus says, follow me. That's the, the piece of following Christ. The disciple is someone who follows Jesus. If you follow, uh, you know, Shakira, you're a disciple of Shakira. I don't, you shouldn't do that, right? <laughs> Even though her hips don't lie. You know, don't go there. If you're a follower of Beyonce, you know, then you're a disciple. That's what it means. And so Christ, when we, he says, follow me, it starts with being a follower of Christ. It says he said to them, it's in the context of community. The call to follow Jesus is not individual. The context is in community, always in community. When we are saved, we are brought into the family of God, right? We are brought into the body of Christ. We are brought into his church. Somebody says, well, you can be a Christian and not go to church. You're not really a Christian, Christianity is not a solo project. It's not an individual te- you know, sport. It's a team sport. And I don't have time to fully unpack that. Bethany's going to be doing that next week, and it's going to be awesome. Man, the drummer was cute today. How many? I was a little distracted in worship. I was like, I should go out with her. I'm, we're married, just in case anybody's. We are married. Put a ring on that thing, right? Come on. We're celebrating 10 years next month. I didn't think she'd stay with me this long, to be honest, so I feel pretty happy. Community. The third one is change. He says, I will make you. There's an implication that though we are called as we are, Jesus isn't going to leave us there. He's going to bring us in a process and transform us and help us to change and become more like Jesus. And then the call. I will make you fishers of men. The call to make disciples. That our Christianity, our following of Jesus is not meant to remain abstract or just to, for us, it's, it, it's meant to go into the world and we're to take the gospel out, to go and make disciples, to pass on what God has done in us to other people. And so the four C's, we're going to cover that. But today, our focus is on what it means to follow Jesus. And I want to share a message with you called From Fan to Follower. From Fan to Follower. How many of you know there's a huge difference from being a fan and being a follower? And you could say it this way, too. You could say a spectator or a participant, right? A spectator or a participant. Now, many people, their idea of being a disciple of Jesus in their head actually looks a lot more like being a fan or a spectator than being a follower or a participant. And Jesus isn't looking for fans. You hear people on the street. I'll talk to people, and 
get into the kind of religion talk or church talk, and, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm, I, I really like Jesus. I mean, he, he loved everybody. That's really cool. And that's the language of a fan. It's appreciation at a distance. It's appreciation from afar. It's kind of like me when I go to the basketball game, and I'm like, those guys are awesome. Don't put me out there. <laughs> right? You know, if I had the athletic ability, the basketball IQ, the height, the speed, the flexibility, if I had any of those things, that'd be amazing. But since I lack all of those things, I'm just up in the stand eating popcorn with Bruce, you know what I mean? And cheer, oh, go Ducks! There's a huge difference between a fan and a follower, a spectator and a participant. You know, when you go to the Ducks games, I love going to Autzen and watching the Ducks usually pummel someone, which is what we like. You know, this year it was we were the ones getting pummeled, but... There's a huge difference between the guys in the stands and the guys on the field, right? Huge difference. Now, we up in the stands are always armchair quarterback, and, oh, we should have done this, and he should have done that. And I guarantee that all of us up in the stands, if we got on the field, we'd get crunched, right? There's a massive difference. And a lot of people, they think, when I come to Jesus, if I appreciate Jesus, I, oh, I, I like what he says here, or I appreciate uh, what he does in the world, or what he represents, or I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I appreciate from a distance, but that's not what he wants. He wants you to get in the game, to get down where it's happening. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny just talking about this difference between a fan and a follower. A fan, they're in the stands. A follower, they're in the game, right? The spectators apart, the participants in the mix. For a fan or a spectator, at the game, it's an escape from reality. When I go to a game, I, it's a fantasy thing. I'm like watching these guys and awesome, and I'm living vicariously through, through them, wishing I could run that fast or jump that high. But I go back to my real job, and I can't do any of those things. But for those guys, that's who they are. It's their life, right? For a fan, it's minor involvement. I paid 25 bucks for this ticket, 10 bucks for a hot dog. I don't know why I spent that much on it, but somehow a hot dog at the stadium just seems like the holy grail, you know, in this moment. I think hot dogs that you spend $10 on automatically taste 40% better. It's still just a hot dog, but it's delicious when you're at the game. For a fan, it's minor involvement. For the, for the person on the field, it's a major commitment. And Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. He didn't say, hey, come and appreciate what I do from a distance. Hey, Peter, Andrew, you know what? I'm pretty cool. I have a really awesome vision for the world. In fact, I'm going to die on a cross and save the entire universe from sin and death. So why don't you guys just like appreciate that? Now he says, come and get in the game with me. You are not invited to be a fan, not a, not a spectator, but a participant. Good. There's a huge difference. This weekend I had the opportunity to meet some former NFL players, and that's always a fun thing because it's intimidating. As a man, my, my manhood just shrinks down when you find out that this guy you're talking to is a pro football you know, player or was a pro football player. So I'm meeting this guy, and he's, he's an awesome guy, super nice, really humble. And somehow he kind of, oh, he brings up, I, I, yeah, I was a football player. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm thinking he maybe played for the Ducks or Beavers, you know, 20 years ago. And, or, you know, 10 years ago, whatever. I, I didn't know. And he goes, I'm like, where did you play? He's like, oh, I, I played for Clemson. He's like, oh, Clemson, that's a pretty big school. They won the national title this year. And he's like, yeah, I was talking to Coach Swinney yesterday on the phone. Coach Dabo, you know, that won the national championship. I'm like, okay, cool. And he's like, yeah, and then I played for the Jets. The New York Jets? Yeah. The Cardinals, the Browns. Like, he had an NFL career. It's like a legit NFL guy. And so I was like, cool. Yeah, I, I, I played rec league soccer when I was 12. 
And there's a huge difference. And I kind of, I'm like, I, I got to go to the bathroom, you know, and run away because I'm intimidated by how cool this guy is. There's a huge difference between a fan and a follower, someone who's in the stands versus someone who's on the field. And Jesus is looking for people to get on the field, not to appreciate from a distance. There's a lot of things I appreciate from a distance outside. Yes, I mean all of it, all outside. I, I, I love National Geographic. Like, that's beautiful. Do you want to go there? No. No, I just want to appreciate it from a distance. Guys come in, they're like, yeah, I was out for nine days. I haven't changed my underwear in nine days. Rub moose urine on my face. I think I gutted a calf and rubbed that on my chest and shaved a skull in my chest hair. I was out there hunting, and I killed a bear with my bare hands. You want to go with me? No, I do not. You, you smell like the inside of a, of a rotten animal. But I appreciate it from a distance. Like, go, you hunters. Go out there and kill the meat. You know what I mean? Go do it. I appreciate it from a distance, I, but I don't want to be involved. I'm, I'm a fan. Fishing. You know, I, people are like, want to go fishing? No, I'd love to go catching. Fishing is boring. You're staring at water. You know, yeah, you're, you know, catching is great. Oh, there's something on my line. That's awesome. So if, if, if you could invite me out and we could just catch, that'd be great. If I was going to go fishing, I'd just fill a bucket with catfish or, whatever, you know, just where they're just, you can barely get the line in. There's so many fish and then just pull them out one after another. So I'm a fan, but I'm not in the game. And a lot of you are like, what a wuss. Sure. Hey, if, if it fits, I'll just wear it. But don't be like me when it comes to Jesus. Don't be a passive observer. Don't be a fan who looks from the outside in and appreciates what someone else does with Jesus. Don't be a passive observer. Be an active participant. You know, the, we don't need more fans of Jesus. We need more followers of Jesus. Don't be a passive observer. Be an active participant. A real disciple of Jesus goes all in. I don't know about your personality, but I don't, I don't gamble, and I'll tell you why. You know, because I would lose my shirt because I'm an all-in kind of person. Like, for me, if I get on a, if I'm winning a little bit, I'm like, everything on 19. You know what I mean? Like, we're going all in. That's how we need to be with Jesus. All in. I'm not holding anything back. Now, I know a lot of you are followers of Jesus right now, but I'm just telling you right now, it's time to go all in in your faith in Jesus. It's time to stop being a passive observer. Man, I see Pastor Jake preaching. That's cool. I could never do that. You have the spirit of the living God living on the inside of you, you can do anything that God equips you to do. You can do anything that God anoints you to do. I could never share my faith at work. You have the spirit of the living God inside of you. You can do anything that God equips you to do. God anoints you to do. I don't know who said this, but, but it was spoken out at one, at one time. Somebody said this, that there's nothing that the enemy fears more than a Christian anointed in, what they're, in their profession, whatever it is that God called you to do. I think it's fascinating that when Jesus called these men, these fishermen, that he put their call of discipleship in the context of what he had formed them to do. They were fishermen. They understood this. It was in a way they could grasp. You guys catch fish, you're going to catch people. Maybe for you, you're, you're a, an accountant. Maybe for you, numbers are what it works. Jesus will call you in a context that you can understand. But it's time to go all in. Jesus tells a story 
In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. And Jesus goes on, he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. What Jesus is talking about is someone who found the object of their desire. They saw the true value, the worth, and they went all in. When you see Jesus, you'll go all in. When you get a clear picture. I remember when I was like, I think I was 21, and I knew Bethany, my wife. Uh, we were you know, kind of friends. We weren't really friends, and then we sort of became friends, and we were co-workers, 20, 20. And I was 20 years old. And I remember one day, my eyes were opened. How many of you ever had this experience? She comes in and I'm like, I think a cartoon thing happened where my head turned red and it grew to multiple sizes and my eyes bugged out and I saw her. And at that point, it was like, I'll do anything. You know, you need me to sell this, you need me to sell that, you need me to, to, to do X, Y, Z. I'll do anything because I saw her for the first time. I got her, I saw her. Does that make sense? So the, I, the, the worth. And I want to say, when you see Jesus... When you see him, when your eyes are opened to who he is and what he has for you, the kind of life that he's crafted you and formed you to live, you will sell everything like the people in the stories that Jesus tells and go all in for him. When I saw Bethany, I was not content to be a passive observer. Oh, she's cool. She's a nice girl. She's, yeah, right. I wanted to get in the game, son. I wanted, to, I wanted to make her my wife. Come on, I wanted, to, I wanted to get in the game. I was not content to sit on the sidelines with Bethany. I wanted to, I wanted to go there. You know what I mean? I wanted, to, I wanted to love her. I wanted to cherish her. I wanted her to love me. I wanted to enter into this romantic relationship. When you see Jesus, you can't just be content to be a passive observer. You don't get it if, that, if you're content to be a passive observer. Active participant. All in with Jesus. One of Jesus' disciples, John, is talking about people that saw the worth of Jesus and were willing to go all in. They, they got it. They, they had the experience with Jesus. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, I'm going to read it out of the message paraphrase. He said, from the very first day, we were there taking it all in. We heard it with our own ears. We saw it with our own eyes. We verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in most sober prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it. We heard it. And now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus. Our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. Your joy will double our joy. John's saying, we saw Jesus. We heard his words. We touched him with our hands. And we want you to know that when you see him, when you experience the life that comes from a relationship with him, you would drop everything and chase him for the rest of your life. You can have a relationship with Jesus. You can see Jesus. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Not just a fan, not just a spectator, but a participant. You see the worth of Jesus. And you sell everything. And you go after him with all that you have. What's the cost of discipleship? What's the cost 
of following Jesus? What does it take? Well, very simply, it costs you absolutely everything. What? Oh, yeah. To follow Jesus, the stories that he told about what these these men did where they sold everything, that wasn't just metaphor. It was literal truth that when you find the supreme object of worth and value, that nothing less than everything that you are will suffice to acquire it. And everything is a really scary word. You know, what if somebody said, hey, there's this great restaurant. The steak's amazing. Salads are great. Service is awesome. You come, you know, it's just the greatest place. You need to go. And you're like, right, I go there and bring your wife. And, hey, we're here for the day. Hey, how much is, uh, how much is this? Oh, everything. What? Yeah, we're going to need, you need to sign over your, your car, house, kids, you know, everything. We, we, everything is ours now. We, but, but it's worth it. You're, gonna get, you're like, ah, that's pretty scary, right? So the word everything is incredibly scary. But let's put it into perspective. How many of you are married in this room? How many of you are married? All right. Wow, there's a lot of married couples here. Cool. All right, marriage. Yeah. <clears throat> Isn't that an everything commitment? Isn't marriage an everything commitment? I mean, think about the vows that we make. We literally say, till death do us part. What is this, a medieval duel? <laughs> you know what I mean? I will love you and cherish you till death do us part. It's to the death. You're literally saying we are in this until one of us dies. That's crazy. But it's not. Because when you find that person that you want to commit to, nothing less than all of you will suffice. You know, I can't imagine that when Bethany was standing there looking so beautiful in her wedding dress on our wedding day, and if we were standing there making these vows and she was like, well, you can have 90%, I'd be like, uh, what's that? It's the 10% is what I'm sort of hung up on here, right? How many, how many of you would love to have like, oh, my marriage is 75%. We're really on the, we're rising up, you know, we're doing well. No, you want all in, right? Wives, you want your husband all in with you. Husbands, you want your wives all in. Now, marriage is the highest relationship that two humans can have, the highest commitment level. It's till death do us part. It's in everything, all in. All my chips are on the table. I don't have a backup plan. It's you. It's just you. It's nobody else, and it's you until I die. Why would the creator of heaven and earth want less than what two humans can commit to, to, to each other? Why would God say, you know, you committed everything to this person uh, who's sinful and fallible and flawed and, and, you know, and temporary and so on and so forth and is going to get old and you made an everything commitment to them, so I'm good with half of that. No. You see, the relationship that we want to have with Jesus, the meaningful relationship that Jesus wants to have with us, is an everything commitment. And I'll tell you why that's so incredible, because the reality is when you give everything to Jesus, what's happening there is he's giving everything to you. Why are we willing to make an everything commitment in marriage? It's because we understand that our fulfillment, that God has formed and fashioned us in the context of a relationship between a man and a woman to fulfill each other. One of the beautiful things about marriage is is that I don't expect Bethany to meet my needs. I meet her needs and as she's, and I'm loving her and doing everything I can do to love her, I'm, I'm doing my best to fulfill her. She's loving me in return, loving me back, and, and she's fulfilling me, and we're fulfilling each other. It's not a selfish thing. It's an all-in thing. And the beautiful thing is both needs get met. It's, it's the only relationship that has that same kind of connotation other than your relationship with God, which is why the Bible describes the relationship that we have with Jesus as a husband and a wife. 
The church is called the bride of Christ. Why? Because God wants us to understand that at the top of our human understanding, the very highest commitment that we could possibly make with between two human beings, that's just the start of the kind of a relationship that God wants to have with us. A communion of everything. When we get Jesus, we win big. Because let me just tell you right now, I don't have eternal life. You know, I didn't make myself. I can't keep myself alive. I could do my best to Botox and prop it up and exercise and eat weird foods that I can't pronounce. And, you know, you can usually tell something's good for you because you can't pronounce it and it's gross. Right? I wish, like, health food was like, you know, go to the doctor. They're like, listen, you're going to need to eat more chicken strips. I can do that. I can do that, Doc. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. I'm going to go to Chicken Bones and get the all-you-can-eat right after church. Yeah. All-you-can-eat wings. No, that's not what happens. Jesus wants everything, but he gives us everything in return. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. I love undeserved privilege. Undeserved privilege is even better than deserved privilege. You know, when I go to my house, I'm like, cool, I'm at my house. I paid for it, so I deserve it, you know? Like, this is my recliner. Tell my kids, you know, our kids are like breaking our couch that we just bought, and we're like, get off the couch. You don't just, you know, get out of here. That's deserved privilege, right? I worked for it. I earned it. I paid for it. I'm paying the mortgage. It's deserved privilege. So I'm thankful, but, right, it's mine. If somebody's like, hey, here's the keys to my Maserati. Take it. <laughs> Boom, crash right into a pole. But anyways, undeserved privilege. When you get what you don't deserve, we only want this positively, don't we? When you get what you don't deserve, the relationship that you get with Jesus when you leave being a fan and become a follower is a status of undeserved privilege that you are now a son or a daughter of the king of heaven and earth. You are now a child of God. You stand in a place of undeserved privilege. It's incredible. That's where we now stand, Paul says, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. You say, man, I don't think I could pay the everything price. You would pay it if you could see that you get to share God's glory. That someday, when we pass from death into eternal life, that we walk in to some beautiful place where there's no pain and every tear gets wiped away and every relationship is perfect and there's no separation and there's no despair and your body doesn't disintegrate before your eyes. And there's no orphans or widows or people that are brokenhearted. In that place where what Jesus died to make happen happens, we share in God's glory. It's worth everything. That's why people go to foreign countries and lay their lives down to share the gospel because they are participating here and now in that eternal kind of life. God's glory. Would you pay that price to get a taste? I love it in the movie Braveheart when... William Wallace, uh, a.k.a. Mel Gibson, or AK, Mel Gibson, a.k.a. William Wallace. He says, in that awesome Scottish accent, which I won't try to do, to these, these men that are going to give their lives on a battlefield, 
for freedom. He says, would you trade all the days from this day to the end for just one chance to tell our enemies that they can take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. People paint their faces blue to get something like that, you know. Guys wear skirts to have something like that. What is it? Why does that movie, why does it speak to our hearts? I know a lot of women are like, I don't get that movie. But for guys, it's like. (laughs) Why does it speak to our hearts? Because they recognize that there's something bigger than their life, that if they could give their life for it and see that come to pass, it's incredible. I just want to tell you right now, when you see Jesus, you won't be hesitant to go all in with him. Come on, there's some Christians here today that need to go all in with Jesus. You've been playing it safe. You got your cards close to your vest. I don't know if I'm going to get committed. I don't know if I'm going to get involved in a joy group. I don't know if I'm going to get, I don't know if I'm going to serve. I'm just waiting and seeing. Come on, taste and see that the Lord is good. Go all in with Jesus. He will not let you down. He is faithful. He is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Pastor Jake, how do we do this? Number one, you believe. You respond to the gospel in faith. You see in scripture that When Jesus calls us to follow, it takes repentance. Repentance simply means to turn around. You're going one way, you're walking this way. That word repentance in Greek is metanoia. It means a changing of the mind. It means to basically say, I was thinking this way, but I think this way now. And so if I change everything about my life. This morning, you have an opportunity to repent and say, God, I'm a sinner. I've not lived your way. I've not followed in your way, but I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to put my trust, my faith in Jesus. I'm going to believe the gospel That the perfect son of God gave his life on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. He was died. But by the power of God, he was raised to life again after three days. And he kicked the freaking doors of death down, grabbed the keys and said, game over, Satan. Come on. And by believing in that message and putting your faith in what Jesus did, you can walk in that kind of life that Jesus died for you to have. But it takes repentance. We're called to repent and be baptized Maybe you've not been water baptized. I want to tell you right now, in the next two years, we're looking to see 500 people be baptized in water in the Holy Spirit at Joy Church. Listen, so some of you in this room are going to be part of that number, part of that vision that God's given us. You need to respond in faith to the gospel, and you need to be baptized. It's the first thing that Jesus asks us to do as a follower. Be baptized. What does that represent? Oh, I take a bath, and now I'm clean. That's not what it means. It means you're saying, I'm dead. I'm buried. Baptism, you know, if we could, it would actually be better if we could put people in the dirt, but it's too dangerous, so we don't do that. So... We put you in water, and what we're saying when we do that is we're symbolizing this life is dead. You're down in the grave, but now you're raised again in life in Jesus. Come on, that dead person uh, in sin goes into the ground. It's the water because we're, we we're not trying to actually bury you, right? We want you to come back out. Some people we are going to hold down a little longer. But, you know, we put them down in there, pull them out, and repent and be baptized. It means you're, you're dying to your old self and raised again in new life. Believe. A lot of you are trying to behave better. You need to believe better. You're fighting. Oh, I'm trying to, um, you're cutting fruit and your root's not changed. You need to believe the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins. And you need to put all of your faith in Jesus, not 50, 60, 70%, all of it, which leads to step two. To be a follower of Jesus, you have to trust. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were commanded when they would, they would kill a, a, a lamb, a spotless white lamb, the firstborn as an act of propitiation, which is a big word, pay for their sins. It was something had to die because that's what sin brings in is death. And the father of the household had to put his hand on the head of the lamb while they cut its throat. And he had to keep his hand there while that was going on. 
And what that indicated is that this is redemption, this price is being paid. I'm keeping my hand there. When you think about what it means to trust Jesus, it means through everything that you keep your hand upon Jesus, who is that sacrificed lamb that was slayed for your sins. Because you remember, man, my sins are what put him on the cross, but he's my payment, and I keep my hand on him. A lot of people struggle with this. They go, oh, I don't know if I'm really saved. Are you trusting in Jesus? Is your hand, is the hand of your hope on the head of your Savior in this moment? Do you trust him? Do you trust Jesus for salvation, but not trust him to lead you in your life? A lot of people are like, yeah, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Well, be baptized. Ah, that's weird. I didn't do that. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I trust him with my eternal destiny. Hey, be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Nah, that's weird. I'm not going to do that. Why are you trusting Jesus half-heartedly? Go all in. Let him lead you into the life that he made you to live. Trust. You know, a lot of Christians, they don't really trust Jesus. I grew up most of my life as a follower, as a believer in Jesus, and I didn't trust him for my salvation. You go, what do you mean? Well, when I fell in sin, when I failed and made a mistake, when I messed up, I would feel really bad, and I would think about how I had to get cleaned up to get back in a right relationship with God. That's the gospel of religion. It's not the gospel of relationship. It's not the gospel of of Jesus, because Jesus said, look, it's not about you. You're never going to be able to beat sin until you stop trying to beat it and give your hope and trust and put it in Jesus and say, look, I am a failure. I'm a sinner, and I still make mistakes, but the hand of my hope is on the head of my Savior. I'm not going to mope. I'm not going to get depressed. I'm not going to give up or give in. I'm going to say, Jesus, you paid for this sin. Lord, please forgive me, and now I'm going to get up, and I'm going to be your son or your daughter. I'm not going to spend one moment in, in guilt and condemnation. That doesn't come from you. The sacrifice that Jesus made is not honored when we try to earn it ourselves. It's honored when we receive it. As children, we just receive it. It's undeserved privilege, that place of grace. And when you get to that place of grace, let me just tell you what happens. Righteousness comes out of that. Because ransomed, redeemed hearts produce righteous deeds. Religious, earning hearts produce sinful deeds. That's why you can do good things and it it can be actually sin. It says in, I think, the book of Isaiah or Jeremiah, I can't remember, you have to do the study and find it. it. says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Even our good deeds, even when we did our best and we tried to do the best thing, best of intentions, apart from a relationship with Jesus, a ransomed, redeemed heart, transformation on the inside, apart from that, our righteousness, even the best we can do is like filthy rags. Trust, trust. And lastly, we need to respond. It's time to get in the game. Do you see the worth of Jesus? Maybe today you just caught a glimpse, a glimmer, just something shimmering, transient, but you just got a small sense of heaven in this moment. And it's time to respond. It's time to get in the game. For many of you, that means giving your life to Jesus for the first time, to really put your trust and hope and faith in Christ, believe in the gospel. For those of you that are Christ followers, it means taking another step means taking a step of obedience. Maybe for you, that's in the area of finances. And it's time for you to begin to learn what it means to to give a tenth, a tithe, and understand what it means to trust the Lord with your finances. We haven't taught on this a whole lot, but but we believe this. And, you know, Beth and I, we practice this in our finances. We put God first. Maybe that's a step for you. Maybe for you, it's a step of opening up into a relationship and going to a joy group. You know, we don't do joy groups because we like to, I, I 
open up our home on Monday nights. Bethany and I have a group on Monday nights. We don't do that because we're just, we're just, we have nothing else to do or nothing better to do. We do that because we want to see people come into community and relationship and be transformed in that context of other believers, iron sharpening iron. Maybe for you it's time to go to joy group. Maybe for you it's time to open and lead one, go to the group training. Maybe it's time for you to go serve in the nursery. Those beautiful kids in there that are our treasure. Do you know what happens in there is more important than what happens in here? Most of your life's already over. Did he go there? Yeah, he did. D.L. Moody, he was asked, how did your meeting go? And he said, oh, it was great. We had two and a half salvations. Person laughed. Two and a half. Oh, two adults and a kid? No. Two kids, one adult. So maybe for you, it's, it's time to go and serve those kids and love them like Jesus would love them. Yeah, but they're nasty. Oh, yeah, they, they definitely are. <laughs> they're rude. Have you met the pastor's kids? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. I've met them, you know. They look a lot like me. Those beautiful children. Maybe it's time to serve. Maybe it's time to greet people at the door, make coffee, put pipe and drape up, play music, whatever it is, but serve. Get in the game. Don't, don't, just, don't just spectate. Participate. Don't just be a fan of Jesus. Be a follower of Jesus. I love it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 20. There's just this amazing sentence that comes after the verse about what Jesus says. It says, they immediately left their nets. Let me tell you how long you should, it should take you to, to make this decision today. Because there's a wrestling, a tension. Am I going to go all in? What does that mean for me? What would that look like if I did that? Immediately, now, you make that decision, right now. You jump in, you decide, I'm following Jesus, I'm going all in. It's not, I'm not gonna sit here and spectate one second longer. Jesus says, come on, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately threw the nets down, and they followed him. They walked after Jesus, and today, that's the opportunity that you have. Now, as I've been preaching this morning, and asking you to make the step from fan to follower. I know there's questions that come. And if I say, do you want to be a disciple? Maybe the answer is, I'm not sure, I don't know. But let me frame that question a little bit differently. Do you want to have a real and significant relationship with Jesus? If the answer is yes, then you want to be a follower. You want to be a disciple. Do you want to have real and significant relationships with other people? And, and come into relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ that goes even deeper than the blood of human family. A, a relationship that joins you to the, the strongest, most unified family on the globe, the family of God. If you say yes to that and you're sick of being lonely and isolated, then the answer is yes, you want to follow Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're bored in life. What if I asked you this question? Do you want to, to live the life that you were literally handcrafted to live? To come into a, a resonance with your core purpose and who God made you to be, where you don't wake up in the morning wondering how quick you can get to the antidepressant pills, but you wake up and can't wait to get to the Bible and get in the presence of God, and you're a tongue-talking, fire-breathing, Christian, gospel-preaching. Come on. Because you're passionate. And maybe you're going to work at, at the train yard with Mike Stanley, or maybe you're going to work at Symantec, or maybe you're working for Joy Church, or maybe you're working wherever you are at 7-Eleven. Do we have those here? Dairy Mart? Yeah. Wherever you are, but you could be anointed in that place to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus. Come on. 
fresh purpose? If you want that, then the answer is yes, you want to follow Jesus. And this morning, that is the call for every single person that's here.